This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. We're in our series. We started our series a couple weeks ago called Love One Another, and we started that off framing it with the idea of forgiveness, bearing with one another, and then last week we started on talking about the home and the marriage relationship, and today we'll, we'll conclude on that idea, and then we'll continue this series for the next couple weeks as well. Uh, we talked about the difference last week between contract and covenant. Um, one of the reasons for the breakdown in marriages in our world today is because we've defined them on the world's terms, um, which is a contractual mindset. Um, but godly relationships, godly marriages operate on a much deeper commitment. They operate on covenant. I was reading uh, a couple years ago, I was reading an article uh, about some countries and, uh, that were adopting, and some had already adopted, a policy of marriage license that had term limits to them. And at the time that I was reading it, Mexico was debating on implementing a two-year term limit on new marriages in Mexico. So when people would get married... Uh, they would get their license, but it would be only good for two years. It was kind of like a, a hunting license or something like that. And, and if you didn't renew your license, then you just went your separate ways. And what they, they, they're kind of disbanding divorce. And so you had to re-up uh, every two years on your commitment <laughs> to marriage. That is a contractual mindset. Of what marriage is. That's what the world has framed marriage to be. It gets tough. We just don't renew. Um, maybe, and maybe that's where some of you are at today. If you had the option today, you would not renew. You wouldn't re-up today. If you had the option today. Uh, maybe you would say a hearty amen to what Paul wrote in Corinthians. Where he said, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And all of the married folks said, amen. Yeah, see, are you guys going to renew? You'll renew your commitment today. Contract versus covenant. Uh, And we define contract as this. We protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. That's a contract. We protect our rights. A lot of times that's because we've been burned in the past, a a hurt from the past, and we are going to protect our rights. Uh, In a covenant, you have the very opposite. In a covenant... The good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. Think about that. Covenant. The good of the relationship takes precedence. So we give up our rights and we take on, we pick up responsibilities. Last week we looked at the rights that we give up in a covenant relationship. Priority, ownership, and privacy. We give those rights up. You can get that message in the back. They'll give it to you if you want it. Uh, You can get that online. Listen to it. This week, we're going to look at the responsibilities that we pick up in a covenant relationship. Of course, we're looking at, more specifically, the marriage relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, the most common reference when it talks about marriage. Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And all of the married men said, <laughs> you, know, you know there's something else coming. Yeah. We love that part, don't we? You need to submit. But I've found, 
Because that's difficult to do, ladies. But I've found that it's not very hard for wives to do that if the next verse is done. And that says this, Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. That's powerful. The husband, he makes her holy and blameless by loving her as Christ loved the church. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Verse 31, it quotes the reference out of Genesis chapter 2 that we read last week. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Uh, maybe, maybe there have been days when you, you weren't quite going to bed with everything taken care of. There were still maybe some, some things that you would have liked to have talked about before turning the light out. And you laid down next to your spouse and you had to think to yourself, this is a profound mystery. How does this work? It's a profound mystery. However, each one of you must also love, he's talking to the husbands now, must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I don't want you to miss the connection and the correlation between love and and respect. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. When a husband feels disrespected, he has a tendency to react in ways that feel unloving to his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, she has a tendency to react in ways that feel disrespectful to her husband. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. There's a direct correlation, connection to him loving and her respecting. And round and round we go. The best example for marriage is the way that Jesus treats the church and how the church responds to him. We are the bride of Christ. Three things that we learn from this text this morning. If we want covenant results in our home, in our marriage, there are three responsibilities that you're going to have to pick up. Number one, you are going to have to love unconditionally. Love unconditionally. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if, if it's not love, there will be conditions. Um, it's easy to love when the person is lovely. Um, but this is agape love, unconditional love. This is, this is it. You assume the standard to love your spouse according to the standard of Christ's love towards you. Think about that. You're going to assume the standard to love your spouse. How? According to the standard of Christ's love that's been extended to you. That's pretty big. You say, well, how much did Christ love me? Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't wait until we were lovely. While we were still unlovely and sinning, isn't, listen, isn't that when love counts the most? 
Anyone can love when you're being loved back the way you want to be loved. But the question is, can you love the sinner? I'm not sure if we're doing a good job of upholding and keeping our vows. Um, anytime I do uh, a wedding ceremony, you know, I always want to ask the, the newlyweds, um, is there anything that you would like to add to your vows? You know, we say these things, for better, for worse, richer, poor, sickness and health, till love and cherish, till one condition, till death do us part. So you can't divorce them, but you can kill them, okay? Till death do us, it's the one condition. I'm kidding, kidding. Don't take that out of context, please. Pastor said it was okay to kill your wife tonight, that's good. One condition, but I want to ask newlyweds, are there any other conditions? I say, well, uh, what, what, if, what if she does this? Well, no, that's, no. What, what if he does this? No, okay, well, then let's put that in there. Let's, let's do that. We'll have you repeat that today. Two, better for worse. What was that thing you said? I'll write that. No, no I don't want to do that. Okay. One condition then. Till death. See, I, I really believe. I believe that we need to get back to the place where we love because we want the power and the results of a God kind of love. Thank God he treats us that way. There's no caveat in his vows or his covenant with us. Thank God when we mess up and act like knuckleheads and say things and think things and do things and click on things and feel things and go places that we shouldn't have gone, he doesn't give up on us. Aren't you glad that we have a God who, who does unconditionally, irrevocably love us? That's, un- that's agape, unconditional love. It wouldn't be a God kind of love if we said, I love you unless... A contract is conditional. If you don't fulfill your part, I'm released from this agreement. But in a covenant, listen to this. I am bound by that covenant regardless of your behavior because I'm basing it not on what you do, but on the commitment that I've made. That's a covenant. I'm going to be faithful to you till death do us part. That when they're at their worst, On their worst day, they're not disposable. That's when they need you the most. And that's tough. That's tough. Let me just pause here for just a moment. If you've already experienced the pain of divorce and had to deal with the hurt, the wounds, the mistakes, we don't look back. We look Ahead, Don't hear me through the filter of your past. Don't hear me through the filter of condemnation because that's the enemy. That's not our God that offers unconditional love. Let's let the past be the past and as the word says, press toward the goal of the high calling, forgetting what is behind. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Choose to, to love. Love unconditionally. Number two, we're going to have to honor respectfully. Honor, we have got to get back to respecting people. Not just in our homes. Um, there's major disrespect in our society. That there is a devaluing of people. I don't know if you see this or not. Um, uh, you can see it real fast when someone cuts you off in traffic. What do you say? Because that is a person that God loves and created and has a purpose for and has potential for just like you. There is a devaluing of... Maybe that's just my issue. All right, I'll I'll own that. That's just my issue. 
whatever your issue is, right? Every person has value. Every person has potential. God has a purpose for every person. Honor says that I will respect you just because you're one of God's creations. The word honor simply means to put value on it. I choose. I'm going to place value on it, maybe even when it's not valuable. I still choose to put value on it. This concept, this truth, has to be restored back to our homes, to our marriages, and to our society. I, you know, I'm appalled at the way I hear kids talk to their parents. The devaluing, the lack of honor and respect. Uh, let me just say this. Those that have blended families... We talked about this last week. The marriage is the first priority. That's the number one relationship in the home. The marriage comes first. If you're in a blended family, uh, don't allow the kids that you bring into the marriage to talk to your spouse with disrespect and dishonor. Don't allow it. She is number one. He is number one. Man, if I get any whiff of our kids talk, I'm telling you, it's bad for them. Why? Because what you allow, what you allow them to say and the attitude that you allow them to speak with is the attitude that you allow them to speak to everyone. The devaluing of people in our society. We have to get back to honoring. And he says to the, marriage, to the, to the husbands, you make her holy. You make her holy. What, what does that mean? Holy does not mean perfect. Uh, we, we have the wrong concept or, or definition there of what holy means. Holy means... Set apart as special. Husbands, you make her holy. Set apart as special. Um, I don't know if you you have this. We have uh, fine china in our house that my wife insisted on us having 12 complete sets of that we've used once in 20 years. But it it was on the register list. We gotta have, they gotta have the gold rim on the top and all that stuff. Uh, think, think about it this way, though. You, you have everyday plates. We have paper plates because we have four kids. We don't like to clean those plates. But every once in a while, once in every 20 years, you get out the special plates. You wash them differently. You store them differently. You present them differently. You display them differently. You make them special. You honor them Ravi Zacharias says this, Chivalry in love has nothing to do with the sweetness of the appearance, but it has everything to do with the tenderness of a heart determined to serve. You must not act under the impetus of charm, but out of a commitment to make someone's life the joy that they want it to be. That is trying to outserve one another. For centuries, men have dishonored women. And in a lot of cultures, it still exists. I've had the opportunity to travel extensively in our world. And there are many, many cultures today where women still are dishonored. And now we have a whole movement where the culture has almost been reversed. We have a movement of women. It's not that I disagree with most of the issues, but I do disagree with the spirit in which it's demonstrated. And it's driven from a place of angst because men have dishonored women. Have you ever noticed that on all the new shows, all the new sitcoms, the man is always portrayed as the bumbling idiot? And he's usually the character that I think is the most hilarious one, but he's an idiot. 
Why? Because we now have a reversal of that. Now, both are wrong. What we did then and the way we're presenting, both are wrong. But what it leads to is a fallout of an entire generation. We have more unmarried 20-somethings and 30-somethings than ever before in the history of our world. Why? In, listen, in 1960, over 72% of American adults were married. 18 and over, 72% were married. Today, less than 50% of our adults in America are married. Why is this? Several, several reasons. Uh, one of them is because the 20-something girls simply cannot find a decent man. And all the 20-something single girls said, amen, right? Okay, yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're all playing video games until 3 in the morning at age 27. Hardly have a job. No idea what their life is about. How to trade a lady with honor and respect. This idea of delayed adolescence is rampant. <laughs> Serious. And they can't get okay with the idea of committing or interrupting their directionless life. I really have plans. I'm not sure what for, but they would interrupt something. I'm, I'm almost to the next level on my game. God forbid you start to think outside of yourself for five minutes. I just want to say, grow up! It's messed up. We have a bunch of frustrated 20-something and 30-something-year-old women. Now, in terms of honor, can I just say something to the single ladies? It's hard to expect a man to honor and respect you when you don't even respect yourself enough to present yourself with class and with modesty. It's a two-way street. It works both ways. So often women are frustrated when men's inability sometimes to see beyond the outward physical presentation, and yet that's exactly what they lead with. Why doesn't he see me for something more than I am? Because that's all you're showing him. And pretty easily, too. Women must start to see themselves through a different lens. The problem is our world has convinced women that their most precious commodity is their sexuality. Question for the ladies to consider. What, beyond your physical appearance, are you proud of? Or, how about this? What, beyond your physical appearance, are you working on? First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Is that how you would describe your spirit? Gentle, quiet, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You know, I was reading that a couple of weeks ago, and that just jumped out at me. Out of nowhere, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah, and I thought to myself, that's ironic because the fact is Abraham was really not that much of an upstanding kind of type of guy. Twice, twice, he lied about his relationship with Sarah out of fear. You remember? But Sarah chose not to call him what he was, a liar, but instead chose to call him what he could be. She intentionally praised him and called him Lord. She called him her Lord instead of liar. She chose to point out not the junk in his life, but she spoke to the praise that could be in him. She, she spoke respect and honor over him. 
even when he wasn't very honorable and respectable. And honestly, I believe that Sarah made Abraham what he ended up being. Wives, you can be the catalyst to unlock the potential in your husband. You can do it. You will see things in him that he doesn't recognize or acknowledge. I w- Ashley saw us pastoring this church years before I did. Wives, be patient with him. We are slow. We're slow. Love him where he is and speak life to what he can become. Never belittle him. But always, always, always be the one to say, honey, you can do it. You can do it. I'm your biggest fan. I'm telling you, he will amaze you with his feats of accomplishment. This is the epitome of a helpmate. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at the next verse. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. In what same way? The same way as what? The same way that Sarah had to choose to speak to Abraham's potential men. We have to choose to lead from a place of humility. Not with the puffed up chest. Okay, we get it. You're bigger, you're badder, you're stronger. Great. But fear and intimidation have no place in a godly home of covenant. This doesn't. You don't use your brute strength and force to intimidate any member of your home, let alone your spouse. That's a bully, not a man of God. Why, why, why do we treat them the way I will? I'm glad you asked. Next verse there. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, they're heirs. They are God's princess. And what's the result? We do this so that nothing hinders our prayers. Honestly, sir, a lot of your prayers, God is actually hindered or blocked from hearing them because of the way you disrespect and dishonor your wife. Why can't you? How, how do you talk to your wife? How you communicate is just as important as what you're trying to communicate. Is it loud? Anybody in there uh, grow up with uh, a louder parent? One was a screamer, a little more volatile. Is it loud? Is it demeaning? How about the, is it about winning? How many competitive people do we have in the house? You even like we're competing on how your hand got up faster than your... I'm, the, I'm more competitive. I am. Is it about winning? Or is it about understanding? Is it truly about hearing one another? In his book, Love and Respect, Dr. Emerson Egra says this, You can be right, but wrong at the top of your lungs. You can be right, but wrong... You can be accurate in your assessment, but totally wrong in your delivery. Proverbs chapter 12. Thoughtless words cut like a sword. How many have ever wanted to take them back? Oh, oh. Thoughtless words. Psychologists have done studies on this. For every negative statement, For every negative interaction, it takes 7 to 12 positive ones to bring it even again, to negate the negative. Think about that. 
men, uh, so often we struggle in this area of being spiritual leaders in our homes. It can be extremely uncomfortable, awkward, especially if you didn't grow up in that type of environment. Um, Stepping into that space, what can be unchartered territory for you, and sometimes I think we even put these expectations on ourselves that we think that she is expecting of us that may be even more unrealistic. For some of you guys, you may not even know where to start. Let me just say this. One of the most impactful and effective things you can do, I can't overemphasize this, the importance of praying for one another. One of the greatest things you can do for each other is just to pray for God's blessing and protection over each other's activities for that day. There is something powerful. Babe, come here, baby. Let me, let me just show, I'll just show this to you, okay? I'm gonna, can I just get practical with you? This is my beautiful wife right, right here, by the way. We've been married. It'll be 19 years in a couple weeks. Yeah, isn't she beautiful? Yeah. Okay, uh, let me just show you what this looks like. Lord, I just pray for my wife today. I thank you for what a gift she is. I pray, God, that you would protect her, that your angels would surround her today, and that you would bless everything she does today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know how long that was? That was about 20 seconds. But what that will do, because you've now stepped into a space as the spiritual leader of your home, and what that does for her to hear your voice and your dependency upon God is huge. What do you say? What you say? Well, I don't even know what to pray. Um, write, here's what you should do. Sit down and write down what you would like to pray over your spouse. Sit down, just sit down and say, if I had to pray over my spouse, this is what I would pray. And then start to vocalize and verbalize that prayer. That's it. That was for free. No, that was, that was okay. <laughs> now listen, I even miss days. Okay? Guys, don't beat yourself up. I miss days. I go, oh, God. You know, I, I, can, do, I can just send her a text and go, honey, I'm praying for you. God's blessing upon you, God's protection upon you. Simple, right? Okay. Uh, for those of you that have kids, uh, we have four. Just pray for us, okay? We have four. Remember, pray for your kids too. Uh, you are setting the example for them. What you model for your kids in your home is most likely what they will repeat. Uh, Your home is their reference on what a godly home is supposed to look like, feel like, and sound like. So, what what are they seeing and hearing? What are they seeing and hearing? Do they see you loving unconditionally? Do they see and hear you honoring respectfully? What image is being imprinted upon their minds and hearts when it comes to the marriage relationship in the home? The principle still remains true. We are products of the environment that we grew up in. And some of you would say, man, thank you, God, for the the environment that I grew up in. Some of you would say, thanks a lot, God, for the environment that I grew up in. Here's, Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You can change. You can change it. Although it certainly influences who you are, how you lead, how you parent, You don't have to accept that as your reality or your kid's reality. You can change not only your home environment, 
but your kids and generations to come. My dad, as a young person, chose, although it wasn't really his reference point, he chose to say, I'm going to make sure that I'm there for my kids. He chose that. Uh, It wasn't his reference point. It wasn't what he was accustomed to, but he made a choice early on as a teenager. I'm going to, someday, Lord, when I have kids. Now, I can seemingly count on one hand when mom and dad missed. But let me, let me listen. When I'm lacing my kids' shoes up for the basketball game or the soccer game or the whatever game I'm coaching, you know what they ask me? I mean, mom and dad are a given. You know what they ask me? Hey, Mimi and Papa are going to be there too, right? And Nanny and Papa are going to be there too, right? Why? Because of a choice that a young man made. He impacted the generations of kids. Now, they don't understand that that's utopia. They don't understand. Do you know what world you're living in? You got six people every time showing up thinking you are the best player on the team. Every time. You can choose to change it. You can choose. Ashley and I, we often ask this question of couples in premarital counseling. We ask them this. If you could use one word to describe the home that you grew up in, what would it be? Okay, let's just pause. Think about the home you grew up in. One word. Okay, you got it? How has that one word impacted your home and your marriage? Better yet, are you replicating that word? Now, now I want, to th- I want you to think about this. Be honest. Think about this. What one word would you use to describe your home today? What one word would you use? What, here, what one word would your kids use? That may be a different word. Uh... Is it a culture of honor and respect? Uh, that's maybe some homework this week, a little exercise for you. Take homework. It's an open book test, don't worry. Uh, maybe let's sit, sit down with one another, with your spouse, and say, what one word would you use to describe our home? Ask your kids. Um, in some cases, it may be exactly the word that you desire it to be. In other cases you may need to work towards creating new words that describe and redefining what your home looks, feels, and sounds like. We have to get back to valuing and holding one another up. I'm talking about a culture of honoring respectfully, loving unconditionally. Finally, submit mutually. Final responsibility, you've got to pick up in a covenant relationship. Love unconditionally, honor respectfully, and submit Mutually, submission is not something that we demand of our wife. It's something that we give to our wife. Submission is not something that we demand of our husband. It's something that we give to our husband. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And beyond submitting to one another, we also commit to the submission of the process of who your spouse is becoming. We submit to the process. Marriage. Marriage is not about creating the kind of person that you want. But rather, it's about seeing what kind of person Jesus is making. Ladies, he's not a project. (laughs) Each person, 
Each person must be able to look inside the other and see what God is doing and be excited about being a part of the process. Part of that process involves working on it daily. The problem with life is it's so daily. Gosh, it's the problem with life. It happens every day. The days keep coming. Last week, we talked about this a little bit. It's the little things. Every couple learns about the daily little things, the conflicts. It's what Solomon called the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. They spoil the vine. Your ability, listen, your ability to watch over, care for, and be attentive to the little things will determine whether or not the vineyard of your life and marriage will be ravaged and ruined or full of life and fruitful. The little things. And it's the little things that become the annoyances and hinder us from bearing with one another, being patient with one another's weaknesses. So much so that you may love one another. Do you like each other? I think this is what Paul was trying to say in Titus chapter 2. Then they, speaking of the older women, they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. Interesting here. Paul uses the Greek word phileo for love, which refers to the human brotherly kind of love. Not agape, unconditional love, but phileo. He doesn't use agape. The point is that what he's trying to say is this. A young wife, it comes naturally to her to agape, love unconditionally, her husband and her children. She'll, con- she'll continue to love unconditionally. But in the daily wear and tear of life, she's susceptible and prone to becoming discouraged, so discouraged that she may lack Phileo, a kind of impatient unfriendliness can come over her. And her motives are filled with agape, but her methods lack phileo. Of course, you love him. Do you like him? Submit to the process of who we're becoming because growing people are changing people. Growing people are changing people. This is how people can be married for decades and they can say, I'm still learning something about my wife. I'm, st- I'm seeing things in them that I've never seen before. Why? Because they're growing. They continue to evolve and challenge themselves and push themselves. Growing people are becoming more aware of the areas in their life that need attention. They have a greater self-awareness. In fact, I would advocate that one of the greatest indicators of maturity taking place in a person's life is when they start to have a more accurate self-assessment. A more accurate perspective on their strengths and their weaknesses. That's a sign of someone growing, maturing. Here's the challenge. This will work a whole lot better if you are both growing. Submitting to one another mutually and to the process of who you are becoming will be much much more easily accomplished if you're both first challenging yourself. As individuals, learn more, read more, attain more knowledge, set some goals in your life, pray more, memorize some scripture. It can be extremely frustrating when one spouse is growing and challenging themselves and the other one has become stagnant, settling for the status quo, almost mediocrity. We all know what happens to a body of water when it becomes stagnant, right? It stinks, it smells. If there's no movement in your life, nothing new coming in or going out, you grow stagnant. 
And your spouse would say, you stink. So ask yourself, what's causing me to grow? What's prompting me to new life and new thought and new perspective? Husbands, be the leader in the area of growing. The journey to a godly, satisfying marriage is just that. It's a journey and it ain't over, ever, till death do us part. Just like the journey to a satisfying relationship with God is never over. All of this is a lot easier when the man will love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You give up the right. You give up the right to priority, being number one, to ownership, to privacy, and then we pick up, we pick up the responsibility of loving unconditionally, honoring respectfully, and submitting mutually to one another. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School. Or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.